This is W-O-W-D Tacoma Park. This is the Artist Experience Radio Show, and I'm Sheila Blake, and I'm here with Tom Sinakis and my husband Peter, and this is our final show, our grand finale. I want to talk about our original concept for the show and what we have hoped to accomplish and what we wish we had done or not done. The first question is, why did I decide to do this radio show? It's your brainchild. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll just say that I've been an artist and a painter my whole life. I went to New York City Public Schools and later to Cooper Union Art School, and I loved it there. But I was too unsettled, really, say, immature, to really, to really finish, and I left early. And while I was still pretty much a baby, I had a baby. And I had to grow up. So along the way, I worked in a leather shop in the village, sandals, bags, and belts. I worked as a sign painter, an advice columnist. I taught art at summer camp, making paper mache pigs with balloons at preschool, gluing colored noodles to paper, all the grades through college, starting these innocents, drawing from the nude model. Oh, boy. And uh, really... In adult education, every single age I was teaching. And when I was teaching adults, I sort of developed this theory that a person, when they stop making art, at whatever age it is, it's like it could be 6 or 8 or 15, if they resume their art, they are starting where they left off. I think it's very true. Do you see that as true? absolutely. I think it's very true. I, I call it, there's a dormancy, and it's, it's still in your soul, mm-hmm. and, and you continue to bring it out again. I, oh, I think that's very true. Yeah, well, it took me a little while to figure out, like somebody who, who would be in my class, you know, say a, a man 55 years old wanting to learn to draw and drawing like a nine-year-old, and you think, wow. But it is. I'm glad you think it's true. It's very cool. Because then you practice. Then you get better. It's not a stopping point. When I started teaching at Duke, I was really at that place, just learning to draw again. And I was transferring that excitement and what I was just experiencing, learning, to the students. And it made me a terrific teacher. I think I was a better teacher then than ever because I was so connected with their experience of learning to draw. Well, since I grew up in New York, museums was just part of life in New York. That's what you do. You Absolutely. Go to Did you do that, Tom? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Brooklyn Museum, yeah. Metropolitan Museum of Art. I used to walk through the galleries like in some journey. Yeah. You know, like every day. So cool. <laughs> So when I was teaching, and this time at Duke, I'd, I'd sometimes take my classes to museums, but I really didn't know how to talk about art at all. I didn't know what to say to them. So I just say, just look, as if this is like a great instruction. And, and so it was pretty lame. But fortunately, my students had a kind of blind faith in me. They thought, it's our teacher. So, so they would look, and then they would ask really good questions. And that got a conversation going. I never really learned to talk about art. I loved looking, and I hated the affected ways that critics and art historians, you know, talk about art. They, they say these, with this outrageous vocabulary, it's so off-putting to me. It didn't have much to do with how I experienced looking at art as an artist. So when Marika Partridge met me on the street... She told me she was going to start a community radio station, and would I do a show? And I said yes, with the same kind of bravado I had when I when I was bringing these <laughs> students to to uh, museums. And I really didn't have a plan, but I had visited museums constantly, so I thought I could do a show about art from my artist's point of view. It's a, it's different, 
not talking like a critic or an art historian. Along the way, though, I've learned so much, very much from both. I wanted to get to get regular people, regular people in Washington who are really often really uh, fine in their own careers to have confidence in looking at art, just giving a little guidance. You know, without using those awful phrases, it it seems that artists, Tom, you and me, look at art differently from other people. Sometimes it's just, how did they do that? Getting up close. You know, sometimes it's, why did they do that? Or even, why would they do that? And sometimes it's about color. How did they make a painting light, light up? Or composition why does that painting have such an impact? Or why do we care about art at all? Well, here are things I've learned. I've learned a lot about art history. The sequences of art exploration, like what came first and what grew from that. And what I most love, finding connections between artists and art forms and individual artists whose personal lives, their friendships, who influenced them, who stole from who, and art movements, all the isms, Impressionism, Post-Impressionism, Surrealism, Cubism, Suprematism, Modernism. Every show we've done requires so much research. My radio partner, Tom Sinekis, has been with me for the last six years. And my husband, Peter Blake, joined us, sometimes with a poem and later as a full-on contributor. And it's been great. Tom is an expert on Middle Eastern and Renaissance art. He knows how about Middle East textiles, rugs, the Turkish Empire, how to pronounce the names of people in French and Italian, and, <laughs> <laughs> and places, and where are those places? I've learned such an enormous amount, how to look, how to think, and especially how to talk, and it's been terrifically a rewarding enterprise. I've expanded my vocabulary, especially because... I can't tell people on the radio to just look. It's something I've never expected to do in my life. But the moment I put on those headphones, I was in. Well, Sheila, one of the things that's great about your, your mission and uh, our, our uh, work here at the Artist Experience Race Radio Show uh, is to ask the right questions. And we've asked a lot of the questions about what we were looking at. And I like to say it like with a fresh eye. In other words, so we, we, we presented uh, art that maybe we were more familiar with, but to our audience who we don't know, you know, we know people personally, but the general audience, and to, to ask them to ask the questions. And I think that was uh, uh, right on uh, from the beginning. We were asking questions about how one steps back and, and, and looks. We always were talking about studying the work taking the time to the, to do the work. We didn't know anything about radio. No, nothing. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I had a microphone in front of my face maybe three times in my entire life. So, so that new experience of community radio, how do we reach a community which we're a part of, is I think the great joy of, of, of the intimacy of radio. Radio, I think, could be really intimate, and I think we 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 found a, a a niche to spread the word, and it was a big learning curve for us. Oh man, we didn't always get it right. We were very human in our in our mistakes <laughs> in our backtracks. I remember one of our first shows. I was so excited to play this uh, Temptation song, and it never. Never got to the airways. I never pressed the right button. Right. And so, so, but then when I hear it on WTOP and all our local radio stations that they're making similar mistakes, it made our experience, you know, human and real. And, right. and, and I think that that was one of the great things because art is a metaphor for life. You know, uh, life uh, has its ups and downs, and so does art have its ups and downs, not only historically, but, you know, in a career of an artist. I think uh, we're very big about 
bringing all the art forms together that in a family. really a wonderful thing. That uh, as cultural significance. I mean, we, we, we talk about culture, but culture is this, this unification or synthesis of a lot of positive, virtuous energies that come in through art. And, and Peter, we, ha- you know, we have to thank Peter for that because he comes from a real rich experience about the, the spoken word. Um, not one of my strong points, but the, uh, we got to thank you for that, Peter, because a lot of our fans have always mentioned Peter's uh, contributions to the show. Well, thanks. That's very... Um, that's very complimentary. I, I appreciate complimentary, that. You're <laughs> so um, I've said a couple times, and I know that it's. I shouldn't say this. I say just go to the exhibition and look and make things up. For me, I mean, you know, you guys can't make stuff up when you when you speak on the radio. Uh, you, you want to be right. You don't want somebody oh my God. calling you and saying you got the wrong century or, or, oh. or you know, etc. Uh, but for me, one of the main values of, of art is that it pitches people together. It can. That I've discovered working with you guys, because even before I came on the air, I would always go to, to the exhibitions and be taking notes. And I discovered that art is a terrific conversation topic. I mean, you know, with, uh, with my friends, we only talked about football because, um, you know, that's what you're allowed to talk about. And you can't talk about art because you can't lecture people. You know, you can't sit there in the living room, holding forth on the history of this and that, and other people who don't know about the history of whatever it is, you know, they can't participate. But if you just go and look and react, you can talk about your reactions, and you can make stuff up. You say, I think, (laughs) I think this is about a plane crash. (laughs) And these little people, see, those little dots, those little, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because it's so much fun. (laughs) Well, well, I think think one of the things uh, that it opens up avenues of conversation that we don't normally do. That's right. Art, I mean, and, and all the art forms do. I mean, what paintings have affected us, what drawings, what artists have changed our view of the world. Right. And I think that sharing that with a real openness and honesty, it's mm-hmm. a very good way of doing it. And, you know, we, we, we kind of try to keep the cynicism you know, out of the conversation, which sometimes gets a little tough. But the point is that I think that um, there was, I think, an intuitive reaction to what many of the things that we've seen and shared. And to me, I think that's really a, a, how you should look at art. Right. Well, well, Tom, you said in, in the very beginning, not every painting is a home run. Or not right. every piece of art, and that has been that was like so great to me to hear that because you don't have to look at every piece of art as a masterpiece. Just mm-hmm. find it, and if you and if you look at these Vermeers that they've just de whatever de Vermeered de Vermeered at the National Gallery, it's like yeah, you could see that they weren't up to Vermeer standards, and then you don't know. You think either they weren't because he got an assistant to help him or because he was in a hurry to get that, you know, commission out, or they he didn't do them. And those, it's, like, much more interesting to see, wait, maybe that isn't a masterpiece. It's well, re- there's so much art that's been created by humanity, and it never ends up in a museum. Uh, yes. And yet we, we, we kind of poo-poo that other energy, if you will, of creativity. And I think that's a it's big true. mistake because it's only a few people making great decisions about what a true masterpiece is. Right. So 
I mean, in some ways, many cultures are just thrown in the trash because their work never really ended up in the right channels to right. go into a museum. And I think we've been very, very good about uh, sharing that. You're listening to the Artist Experience Radio Show on WOWDLP Tacoma Park, 94.3 FM, and streaming on TacomaRadio.org. If you've just joined us, we're having our grand finale show, Tom, Peter, and me, Sheila. And we are going to uh, continue our conversation, trying to talk about our experience of doing this show. So one of the things that I think that radio's also taught us is about a chemistry or a, a, a kind of how we've worked to learn about each other in the process. Absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? I yeah. mean, we knew each other. We taught, of course, to away from each other at the Corcoran, but how we embraced the conversation about talking about art. Mm-hmm. And that was a learning curve for us, yeah. right? I mean, we loosened up. At first, we were a little, little stiff, oh, a little nervous. Yeah. And we have to thank, you know, Marika and Steve and uh, Bobby Olivia, Hill. Bobby oh, Hill, my God. All the, we're going to thank them again yeah. later in the show. But how they've given us the opportunity and, and kind of helped us along the way to kind of make it a conversation. Because a conversation is a lot more comfortable than, as Peter kind of said, like a lecture. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and I, I'm very didactic at times, so I have to be very careful about that <laughs> on on, um, on uh, radio. But I think chemistry has to do with it. And, I, and I've said to a lot of my friends, you know, are we like um, Bud Abbott or Lou Costello? <laughs> are we like uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen? You know, uh, we might have been on the show on the air longer than they were. But the point is that... It takes a chemistry and a mutual respect. Like, I don't have to agree with everything Sheila and Peter say, but it opens up the conversation. And I think that's really important. And a lot of times you don't get that in a lot of venues, you know, on radio, in the workplace. Um, You know, it doesn't always happen that you're allowed uh, the, uh, if you will, the grace to let somebody speak and, and do it from their, you know, their heart. Uh-huh. And I think that's one thing we did do is we, we, we spoke about art from the heart. Yeah, and, and, we, and it was really important that people feel comfortable talking about art. I mean, I used to, you know, like go to a dinner party or something. Is anybody there talking about Richard Diebenkorn? It was a great show. <laughs> I mean, they go, what? So, so, so it was also like lucky for me to have that, to, to be able to talk about things that I wanted to be talking about. But I also want to say about Peter that for a long time, Peter's loves poetry and he would want to be able to read poetry and I never even had that concept of what it was to read poetry and Peter would take classes not in poetry necessarily acting and and uh record things and listen to his own voice and stuff and so just coincidentally he could come into our show be with this background of reading poetry and I and then I started to love poetry because I never really understood it, you know? Right, because understanding poetry, it, it turns, you know, poem, a poem is like a script, and it's empty of all the music and, and emotion that needs to be put in by the reader. Even if you're not saying that out loud, even if you're just reading it to yourself, you have to put it in. So it's like acting. Even if you're not on the stage, you you have to in you have to act that poem out in your imagination. And that's why I took those classes. I you know I t- I went to took acting classes at the um, Shakespeare Theater Company, wow. and and I hated. I did not want to get up in front of the class. And didn't. I mean, right, and I didn't. <laughs> I was successful in avoiding that. But everybody else, you know, they're just strutting about on the stage and declaiming and waving their arms and uh, having a great time. I hated it, but I learned, uh, you know, 
we would practice, say, the opening monologue of Richard III. And that's how it goes. There's a pulse to it and rhythms and, and little, little pauses and emphases that all go together to make meaning and music. And when you read it, you have to hear that. And, and so it takes training. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, Peter, I think you're bringing up something really exciting. And I think this is what radio gave us in this program. I think in this society, everyone needs a, a platform and a voice. A voice, whether it's a, a visual voice mm-hmm. or a, a vocal voice. Uh, and I think we offered that to uh, our audience to say, okay, you are good enough to have your own voice and going and seeing art and making judge critical judgments about art. And I think that's really, really important in our society because I know that uh, it's not a topic of a conversation, certainly when you open the you know, Washington Post. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of deep into the periodical, but the point is in our society we don't talk about these things it's almost like you know marginalized talking about art i think is really marginalized in this in this culture but so we're basically giving people the the affirmation that it's okay for them to have a voice about visual art and about poetry and music and it expands the life experience and I read an article in, in, uh, at uh, Johns Hopkins Medical School uh, this month that I get as an alumnus, uh, and it was about the healing power of art and how it's really, really becoming on the forefront of not only medical school training, but how we heal. It has something to do with the arts. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because we all suspect, you know, that it's useful. Uh, but it's difficult to prove it. But, and so we need scientists you know, to gather actual data to prove that it's good for you. Uh, right. but, but it's good to know that, that, in fact, they are getting that. You know, it also, this is called a shout-out. My friend Tracy Council has had oh, an yeah. art therapy program at um, many different medical centers for cancer kids. Uh-huh. And that is something that is so healing. And those kids are just remarkable because they get lost in their art projects. And they look forward to being there. And it's, you know, then they they put on shows. It's really a wonderful mm, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, wonderful. Yeah. But one of the things about the show that, uh, a, a word that we don't really talk about too much, and it's, the joy of an experience. You can still have joy in looking at an artist maybe, maybe you don't particularly like, but it, it, it reaffirms some ideas that you might have and you can take away it in a positive, joyful way. And I think that's one thing about the show. Yes, Sheila said it, and, and, and there's no doubt about it. It's a lot of work oh to, put, to put together a show and a lot of <laughs> sacrifices, but the point is that it also brought us great joy and for me personally you know i'm kind of one of these lazy artists you know i you know i, I kind of work on my own in my studio but to get me out of a out of you know my my studio or my house to see art it, it takes work and i want to sh- uh, thank sheila and peter for doing doing that <laughs> getting me out getting off my butt to go look at art because i i wouldn't do it unless somebody prodded me. And this show is a great, great experience for me to see artists that I would probably not make a big trek to do it. Uh-huh. And, and yet, again, the joy overrode all the, you know, schlepping around, get, having to find a place to park, <laughs> going on the metro. You know, and, and I think that kind of joy we've shared like all over the globe. Yeah. I mean, people have written us, and to me, that's really great because we also offer joy about the art experience. Yeah. And, and, and education isn't always connoted with joy, but, and I think in this sense, we, we, we try to make uh, sharing and communicating joyful. True. But I also have to say about the amount of work when 
when we started doing the show, and we knew nothing about radio. And Marika gave a couple of workshops for us people who didn't know what to do. And she said, we're not NPR. We don't want to be smooth or slick. We're just people, and we want that to show. And and so you think that would relax us. No. It was no, like, no. wait, we have to talk. We have, And everything we've said is scripted until now, until this show. We, we just, I don't trust myself. I didn't trust myself to just be able to talk without, you know, it's very complicated, the kind of things that we're trying to get across and the connections between things. And so we would come to the radio station and I would always want to like have a drink and but it was like nine o'clock in the morning. And we didn't. And, no, we didn't. But I certainly <laughs> I just want to make I sure certainly we know had that. no we did not. But but and there was Bobby Hill to kind of calm us down and tell us to face each other and act like we were talking to each other because really it was terrifying. It, it, it absolutely was terrifying. I mean, you know, everything, you know, that brings communication and joy and all these virtues that we talk about happens to be hard work. And I think the hard work really kind of, uh, yes, it left us exhausted at times, but it also was beautiful to kind of get it out there. Yeah. Um, and it's okay if some people didn't like how we spoke about some artist or uh, maybe we... You know, we stayed away from some edgy stuff that we didn't want to get involved with. And we could talk about that, too, because this is public radio. And as an educator, that's particularly a good lesson because sometimes some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth, I don't really think about all my students interpreting the same way I think about it. So, you know, this has been good. We, we, we've, we, you know, we've had some possibly, you know, biting our tongue moments but it is public radio. Yeah. Well, I I mean, when I was sort of really going over what I would like to have done more of, it would be to be more critical because there are a couple of art critics who I love, and one is Robert Hughes, and he's uh, Australian. He died a while ago, but he was really critical, and he called Basquiat... Uh, Requiem for a featherweight in his obituary, and he he just he really hated what was happening with art when it became more of a commodity than a than a true expression, and uh, and he would write about that, and he was just scathing, and I thought, but he was such a good writer that he could get away with anything. Just like that, like Requiem for a Featherweight, they're pretty clever. Huh? Well, I, I think Sheila, we, we there, I think there are moments where we were, we were pretty critical, and I, I remember one distinct moment when we we discussed the uh, the art news about Hunter Biden's uh, oh right e- exhibition right, and and I thought I was pretty. Uh, pretty open and, and, and pretty vicious, if I could use the word about it, you know, how nobody's heard about that he even did art and he was charging, you know, 500000 for a, a painting or some ridiculous figure, and um, you could I couldn't hold back. Right. Yeah, and right. that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Poor Andrew Wyeth. I mean, oh, uh, God. if he ever listened to our shows, he would be... <laughs> You'd be upset. I've been thinking about him this whole time. Yes. uh, Picasso. uh, Picasso. uh, Sheila, I think you're forgetting about your rants about (laughs) Picasso. Uh, uh, Could we bring this up now in our final show, Uh, the the great hurrah? I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, we we try to support um, segments of our population that might have found him very insensitive to like half the people in the entire world. So, uh, and so uh, I think I think you were pretty forward about that, and I think that's good. I congratulate you on that. <laughs> good, thanks. I hope you didn't forget that. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a no regrets finale. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the part of the other side of having conversations with people about art is that We've done so much research and work and thinking about these artists, and then sometimes you're in a conversation where you just want to say, hey, 
I did a radio show on this. I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, that's great. It's the old radio crutch moment. Yes. um, But uh, I remember when we, uh, we, we've actually had shows about, you know, the difference between seeing the the person, um, male or female, versus the art. Uh-huh. We had a whole show on that. Remember, how do we critically, fairly, you know, judge uh, someone's art when we know that the person is not what a, what we would call a stellar uh, individual <laughs> in society? Right. I mean, we talked about Edgar Degas in that light. So maybe in some ways there were people that were listening to us were saying the same thing. You know, I mean, and I think that's okay. You know, we could handle it. We're tough. Okay, you know, so, yeah, some people didn't agree with it. I got several emails that people didn't necessarily agree with what I said. And I think that's what the conversation opens up. It's about you being critical of our audience, ourselves, and being respectful at the same time. And I think that's an important lesson for our listeners, mm-hmm. that we, we, we want them to have their opinion and we want them whatever opinion it is we we need to respect that just like in any aspect of a society yep and i'm always learning that lesson always even today yesterday right <laughs> now come up right now <laughs> right now <laughs> if you've just joined us we're having our grand finale show tom peter and me sheila And we are going to uh, continue our conversation, trying to talk about our experience of doing this show. I was thinking in this show, we should talk about the title, uh, Artist Experience. Oh, I wanted you to address that. uh, You did. Yes, because I, you know, I, I think I came up with the title, you right? You did. You came he up with right the title. Away. Right. Oh, we'll call it Artist Experience. And I didn't even realize, uh-huh. at just blurting that out, that, of course, I had read the classic John Dewey book many, many years ago on uh, Artist Experience, but Peter kind of brought it all together with, with his uh, knowledge of books, which I don't have. <laughs> uh, so... So uh, I think that's, yeah, please bring this up because I think this is one an important aspect of, of you in, in, in the show. You, you brought a philosophical aspect that uh, I don't really have uh, in the sense that it's, it's mine is more guttural and intuitive kind of thinking about art. And I, that I, I really appreciate because philosophy opens up another arena about art. Right. I mean, there is philosophy of art. You know, long ago, when I was in college, I took one course, and that was uh, a great teacher, Abraham Kaplan. And, um, I, you know, at that point, I wasn't a good student. I wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to be a good student, but I was much too scattered. Uh, and uh, I didn't, you know, read all the assignments in any course I took. But... Um, that book, Art as Experience, there was one, I mean, I think there's two main ideas, but the one idea I just thought was so brilliant, which is that he identified that the work of art is in the viewer's experience. So if you're going to talk about art, you should talk about the experience, not the object on the wall. And that's a difference, like with our show. I mean, of course, you know, if your profession is, say, a conservator or even a curator the, or an art historian, the object on the wall, the, the brush strokes, the technique, what was learned, uh, how you can tell what century it is, all these sorts of things, uh, the analysis of the object is essential to your profession. You know, hats off to to those professionals. Uh, but for us, we experience art, and so the identification of the locating the work of art, sort of between the person, it's not internal 
to the person. It's not hanging on the wall. It's an interaction of, of imagination with, with the object. Yep. I was, it's making me really think about what we as artists feel is the, mi the mission of an artist and what it really is and how to find beauty within ourselves and, and put it out there for other people and what beauty is. And it doesn't mean pretty and how there's beauty in, in everything. It's like if you're, say you're in a museum and you go past a painting and there's some little piece of blue and something goes ding in your mind yes. and you may not even stay there very long but it stays in your mind just like a chord of music does and through your whole life I don't know we have this amazing as human beings an amazing capacity to have music recorded within ourselves and you could hear a chord or a sequence of notes that you maybe heard I don't know, for me, it could be like 70 years ago. And all of a sudden, it just brings up this, this feeling. And, and you, you, you know, then you kind of go, what is that feeling? What and is that it, feeling? It's yeah. so great. Yeah. And, and art has, you know, it, that same capacity to stay with you. And maybe a feeling of looking at, at a sculpture when you s saw something as a sculpture and then you go, oh, that's the same sequence of planes as I put into my painting. And those kind of connections, and you may not know even what they are, but they, re they resonate within you. And the more you, just like the more music you listen to, the more, the broader your, I would say, sort of your internal, I don't know if it's the word vocabulary, but you have these experiences within you and they resonate from one to the next. And that, to me, is that feeling that no matter what your daily life is or what you're, you know, getting in the car and going, that you're alive and you're alive in a way within you that you're not always conscious of, but you think, ah, this is this is me. This is what my aliveness is. Yeah, the, wow. The, wow. That, the resonances. That's it. It's the resonances of experiences. Like there's an experience like that's possible for you, but it has to be woken up. Yeah, it does. I mean, sometimes I I don't know if you guys ever experience this uh you're, say, looking at a work of art, uh, and this feeling comes over you, oh, this is, I felt this when I was a child. Does that oh, ever happen? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a part of visual memory, but uh, what I think it is that, uh, I mean, we don't use this word enough, I think, in, in our culture, is that it's, it's the sensuality of experience how looking at a painting might conjure up a musical note mm -hmm. or a vision. We've talked about synesthesia several times on the show, but the point is that you you get in you're you're welcomed into this this humanity of creativity and and, and it sparks life, as you said, mm -hmm. Sheila. It, that's what makes life exciting. Yeah. Yes, for sure I have. I mean, um, and I think one of the things about seeing art is you know is part of our daily sensual experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I I hope for our listeners now they will take this and and more even want to develop this feeling within themselves and acknowledge it too, because mm -hmm. this goes on all the time in your daily life, but you may not even acknowledge that it's going on. And you certainly wouldn't stop a conversation to say, you know, oh, look at that, <laughs> look at that cloud or look at that color or something, you know, in a business meeting or something. But you're, but you're experiencing it. 
and really treasuring that. Welcome back. This is the Artist Experience Radio Program, and I'm with Sheila Blake and Peter Blake, and we are the hosts of the Artist Experience Radio Program here at WOWD Tacoma Park. This is our last show in the Artist Experience Radio Program, and we're talking about our experience in being so, so joyful about being part of this great community radio family here at WOWD. We have been doing this from the inception of the radio station, from uh, the brainchild of Marika Partridge, and with all the help from Marika, Olivia, and Bobby, and Steve, we thank you, and it's been a great trip doing this on community radio. And for all our listeners, we thank you for listening. So, what would we like to talk about now? Well, what about... What about the things that we hold for in, in, from our listeners and ourselves about, you know, the future of art conversation in radio. Uh, have we thought about that? What may, maybe in a sense of like, what, what have we left our listeners with that they could continue, um, you know, for their lives? Oh, I love this idea. I'd love to think that we sparked something that will continue... It's, I mean, now I'm even thinking, oh, wait, there's a new museum that opened in Washington, and we can do a show on it. <laughs> so, and also, I want to say that we've been left with that absolute welcoming thing that if we have a show we want to do, we'll just do it and put it up. So this may not even be the end for us. That's exciting. Yeah, but what about other people? And sort of, I guess what I... what. You know, like WOWD has many music shows. And how about sort of making connections with other forms of art within those music shows? You know, really, it's what we do is what I love that we do. And uh, it may be possible to think more about that. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we, we, we've done, what, about 150 shows, and, and, you know, we think about so many shows that we didn't have time to. But one of the things that I, I, I do like about that is, is, like, how we have engaged multiple art forms. We, we actually had a show on the, um, the language of music and visual art and how they're related, and... Uh, that was a, a good show with Lyle Peters, a musician uh, in the area. And so I think uh, Peter has brought in the poetry, and uh, we've, we, we have talked about other art forms. And, and I think that's a kind of a neat idea. One of the things about um, the phonic uh, connection between the visual uh, and, you know, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, say, you know, the blues of art and the blue period of Picasso or what blue does in a painting and what famous paintings have a lot of blue in them. And we talked about Alma Thomas, who had used blue in a really, really beautiful way. Uh, but that's a kind of an interesting, like, kind of tact that a, a, a new show could, could have. Like, we could just do a whole series on, on color. Oh, and, I'd and, love and to. Color we could, and, and music yeah, and, and weather and music. Because, uh-huh. you, know, you know, the great paintings uh-huh. about weather, you know, storms and, right. you know, um, are we in Kansas anymore? So that kind of thing. <laughs> so there are, there, yeah. it, there's an infinitesimal uh, ideas that are, still could be uh, how you will conquered uh, on radio. Yeah. Here's here's something that I just started to think about very recently. I had read this. Uh, Peter Sheldahl is a great art critic, 
and he is he just really died of cancer this month and he's uh he was a writer and a poet before he was an art critic and he used art to be able to be to write basically with a poetic tendency it's not and one of the things i read that he wrote was he was describing alexander calder's sculpture called southern cross and he said imagine someone using gestures to describe a tree to people who have never seen a tree and he said this thing comes out of the ground and goes up and there's stuff above that spreads out and hangs down ah oh, the hell with it <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's just so such a beautiful way of describing not just this particular scu- Calder sculpture, but the kind of the haplessness of Calder and how he, what his personal expression is. And I wish that I had been able to do this more. Well, I was thinking of uh, maybe, Peter, you, you have to jump in here. Uh, you know, Ode to a Grecian Urn. You know, and yeah. how how that is a lit- literary uh, masterpiece about you know looking at you know a Greek urn. Yeah, there are several. I mean, he looks at the scenes. Keats, John Keats, looks at the scenes on the on the, the Greek urn and imagines them as as the people they're representing frozen in time, you know, and, and the, the boy who's looking at the girl, you know, he'll never get to kiss her. But on the other hand, she won't grow old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, whole other, a whole other avenue. You're listening to the Artist Experience Radio Show on WOWDLP Tacoma Park, 94.3 FM and streaming on TacomaRadio.org. If you've just joined us, we're having our grand finale show, Tom, Peter, and me, Sheila. And we are going to continue our conversation, trying to talk about our experience of doing this show, what we've learned, <laughs> and, and just how enriching it's been for us, because it really has been. So we have some final thoughts, and I'm always getting teary about that this is really over but it's not really over because we're going to be doing some pop-up shows for sure yeah some specials yes specials sounds good (laughs) but you know when we first started doing this show there was a a a show at the Hirshhorn Museum and it was by uh, Robert Irwin who is a California I guess you would call him a conceptual sculptor and I went to this show. It was three years in the making, and it was so incomprehensible to me that I really didn't know what to do with it. So I started asking the guards, what is this? And they would say, well, this is a scrim. There was a a long, maybe like 80-foot sort of wall of somewhat translucent I don't know, material, I don't know what it was made out of. And uh, and I didn't know what to do. And and the guards would say, well, you see, this is a scrim, it's 80 feet long. And that didn't do, and it made me understand anything. So I went to the, uh, to the talk by the curators. And uh, what I got from the talk was that they had commissioned Robert Irwin to do a work and that his idea was so far-reaching. He doesn't work in a studio. He works with wherever he is, like in airports. Very large-scale ideas. And basically, to me, what it looked like he wanted to do was take the Hirshhorn Museum and slice it in half and move a little bit apart. (laughs) And, And so they had... They worked with his ideas. They, uh... That was not feasible, really, to slice the Hirshhorn Museum, you know, that donut <laughs> in half. But maybe he wanted to put some cream cheese on it. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he so he, uh, 
he came up with a little bit less of an idea, a little bit smaller in scope idea, and it had to do with putting things on the roof of the Hirshhorn. And so they did weather checks and experiments with what was going to happen when they put things on the roof. And that took about a year. And they came back with, we still can't really do this. So things got whittled down. And what I got from it and is was, well, that was what they were kind of left with. It was this 80-foot wall of material. <laughs> so... I never could really find out, but what it looked like to me was the Hirshhorn got stuck. They put so much time into this idea, and they had to follow through with it, and they had a, and they couldn't fire the artist because they're, they couldn't. So I thought, this is really weird that they're not really able to tell you what really happened with this. So I decided that... As my mission <laughs> on the radio is to at least try to say things like that, or at least <laughs> a, make a, make a, an imaginary proposal of what really happened. So that to me was a big part of our mission here was try to explore underneath what we were seeing. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. I wanted to tell this anecdote, uh, which to me is. Ex- Extremely important. So this was uh, uh, maybe 40 years ago. Sheila and I were living in North Carolina, and we drove up on a Friday night to the National Gallery of Art, which was open on Friday nights back then, and to see a show called Post-Impressionism. And so we're standing in front of a Cezanne, and I said, uh, okay, um, wh- wh- what is it about say? Why is Cezanne thought to be great? I mean, I know it has something to do with uh, spheres and cones and, and cubes, right? And she said, okay, just look at that orange and realize that every brush stroke was meant, that it was, it was not slapped on there in a spirit of action painting. Or, or improvisation. Every single brushstroke is exactly what it's supposed to be. And so I'm looking, I look, and, and maybe 10 minutes pass, or I mean, it probably felt like a half hour, and then all of a sudden, boom, the orange became three-dimensional. And and then very quickly, the three-dimensionality spread through the painting so that the whole painting was three-dimensional. I this is freaky. I was freaky. It's not, it's, it, it didn't resemble our world. It looked like an alternative world made out of paint uh, where everything had kind of the wrong color. But it was a real three-dimensional world. And then I looked to the side. I looked at another... Cezanne painting, and it was the same thing. And I, this, this is why he's thought to be a genius. But it's such a, um, it's an experience that most people don't get because you, you were telling that story about where you, you took the students to the museum and said, look, so it's the same thing. Um, you look, and in the years since then, uh, you know, when I look at great art, including Cezanne, sometimes that experience happens. It, it, not always, because there's a lot of things that have to uh, go together for, for that experience to fully blossom and bloom. But, but always there's something there. Uh, and now I know what what to do when I'm faced with a a work of art that I don't understand. You just work your way in somehow. You start thinking, what about this? What about that? And and as you look more and more, these tensions or boundaries or, or walls to comprehension fall away, and you learn from 
the painting what it is that is uh, what you're supposed to, they teaches you how to look at it. And if it doesn't, you know, after 15 minutes, you can say, well, you know, either it's not so great. Uh, or not today. Or not today. You yeah, don't, you don't, part of it. you don't know which one. Right. And I, and I just wanted to add as a, as a final thing that Peter, when I first got to know you, we were, uh, I was working for you as a house painter and, uh, and we were in the backyard of a house that we were working on. And there was this, uh, tree with small hard pears on the tree. And I took two of the pears in my hand and I said look a Cezanne and you said I don't know anything about art and I thought oh damn oh boy well <laughs> so, so then when you got that about the Cezanne I thought oh there's hope for us <laughs> there's hope well yeah it's come full circle uh, well, here on WOWD Tacoma Park well you know in my closing thoughts about the show firstly uh, I want to thank uh, Sheila you uh for asking me to come on to this uh, uh, wonderful concept for radio, which I, I knew nothing about, and um, Peter for you know uh, for sharing so much about what you know and with things about I didn't know, and all the team and and I think one of the things about this ex experience has been so great. It's about community, mm -hmm. and not only us as a community, but the the Tacoma Park community, uh, getting to know uh, Bobby Hill has been was so such a beautiful, beautiful experience, and all the people at the radio station that we work with, um, other programmers, um, Marika, Steve, Olivia. I think it opens up a new world, you know, in a world that you enter and you run with it and see what happens. And I think that's the joy of uh, life. It's the joy of art and it's the joy of experience. It's that simple. Well, I want to thank Marika for giving us this chance. I mean, just stating it there and believing, not questioning what we were going to do, just letting us run with it. And she has also been our greatest fan. Every so often, Marika will listen to a radio show and call us and just tell me how much she loved that show. And it's and so genuine and so mm, wonderful when so we really beautiful. don't get feedback. And there was Marika on the <laughs> phone with me telling me how much she loved the show, and I want to thank her. Yes, yes, we all need to thank her. Stay tuned to our next exciting programming here at WOWD Tacoma Radio 94.3 FM. Stay tuned to our next exciting program with our own Bobby Hill and Clay Fink. This music. Bobby and Clay share their incredible knowledge and musical depth on Saturdays, every Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Avant-garde jazz is right here. We invite you every other Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. to Robin's Radio. It's an opportunity to listen to the radio of our youth and it'll bring out the child in everyone. Listen every other Sunday from 8 to 10 p.m. to our friend Gail Barron's The Night Ride Home. Gail serves up an eclectic and selective mix of music from a host of musical genres. And in this time slot, in the future, Lost Treasures will play every week so uh, starting november 26 lost treasures saturday morning in the 9 to 10 slot with dj bookish alternating with dj mackey lost treasures is uh, uh records from the ages before digital okay we <laughs> invite you to go to our website tacomaradio.org and look at the program schedule which is which is always evolving this is so much fantastic music, talk shows, interviews, and community news from so many diverse people at this great radio station. So please go online and see the programming. Experience art and the visual and everything you do. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your attention all these years. Farewell. We thank love you, you all. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. 
Good time, having a good time. Shooting star leaping through the sky. 